Happy Sabbath, church. I want to thank Pastor Bernie, Pastor Patterson for the opportunity. But I have a problem. I have a problem. Because I'm challenged to preach for 27 minutes. And I will preach for 27 minutes. But then when I go to Miami Temple next week, my church is going to be like, well, you preach 27 minutes over there. Why can't you preach 27 minutes here? So thank you for the problem. Thank you for the challenge. But I'm glad to be here. This week has been amazing. The past two days we've been learning about leadership. And I was humbled and inspired and encouraged by the volunteer team that your church has. In fact, um, I was so moved and inspired that I wanted to host this same event next year in Miami because of what I saw here. I don't know, are, are there any volunteers that, that are here in this service? Are you here? Raise your hand. Man, let's thank them. The awesome job, you know. They represented God and they represented your church to the visitors that were here. Well, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father God, who am I that you are mindful of me? Hide me behind the cross as I speak the foolishness of the gospel. Speak to us, transform us, and I pray that we may leave here committed. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Leadership has been debated in Christianity for years, for centuries. And the question has been, well, is it biblical to lead? Aren't we supposed to be followers and servants instead of leaders? Well, let me remind all of us here. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God said, that let us make man in our image and let them have what? Dominion. Let them rule over the earth. Let them rule over the creatures. We have been created to be creators, as T.D. Jake said to us yesterday. But unfortunately in our church, we have become consumers. T.D. Jakes challenged us. and He says, God created us with gifts and talents and abilities to multiply the kingdom of God here on earth. But unfortunately, we just come, and we come for the service, and then we leave. We were rebuked yesterday by another speaker, Wilfredo de Jesus. He's a pastor in Chicago. And he said, our nation is a mess because the church has remained within the four walls of the church building. It reminded me of what Ellen White said in one of her books. She says that sin and evil has multiplied on the earth, not because of the, of the devil and, and, and his demons, is because the church has not done its part as far as fulfilling the mission. Wilfredo de Jesus challenged us and he says we need to engage the culture. Many of us accommodate to culture. Many of us withdraw from culture. Again, T.D. Jakes, man, he was, he was the highlight yesterday. And he didn't even preach. He just gave an interview. Do you know that he's having a TV show, a daytime TV show in September? He's going to have a daytime talk show. And so that, why do we withdraw from culture? T.D. Jake says, listen, people are not coming to church. They're filling the movie theaters. They're, they're watching TV. They're listening to music. So it is my God-given my God given gifts to use them to inter, interface with them in their world. So he's producing movies, and now he's going to have a TV show. What have we done as, as Adventists? We kind of withdraw, and, and, and I'm, not, I'm not knocking it, I'm just making, I'm just agreeing with Wilfredo Jesus says, we kind of withdraw from culture. 
So we have our 3ABN, we have our Hope Channel. But here's T.D. Jakes. He says, no, no, I'm going to prime time. I'm going to the networks. They need to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wilfredo Jesus says we need to engage culture. Some of us withdraw from culture. Some of us will, will accommodate to culture. Some of us will oppose culture. But he reminded us that God has told us that we need to be salt and light in this world. Amen? And so this is where we're talking about leadership because salt and light are metaphors of leadership. But what is leadership? J. Oswald Sanders said it first, but it was John Maxwell who coined it. He said that leadership is influence. Nothing more, nothing less. Leadership is not dependent on titles, is not dependent on position. It's all about influencing others in a worthwhile cause. Some of you may say, well, but, but I'm an introvert. I'm a shy person. Sociologists tell us that an introverted person will influence 100,000 people in a lifetime. Everyone in this room is a leader. Everyone has influence. Have you ever been, have you ever gone into an elevator? You go into an elevator and you say good morning. You're going to get two reactions. They're going to smile or they're going to ignore you. That's influence. Have you been to New York City? You ever been in the subway? The moment you walk into the subway, you don't look at people's eyes. You look away. That's influence. Everyone here has the ability to influence. And it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how young you are. You could be a student in one of our schools and say, we're going to have a protest against uniforms. That's influence. That's a leader. I won't mention the school, but stay tuned. So leadership is not dependent on, on, on titles or positions. It's dependent on someone catching a vision from God and being a catalyst to mobilize others to join in its fulfillment. So in order to lead effectively, you need to have commitment. And this is one of the greatest leadership challenges that our church is facing today. Commitment is the state or quality of being dedicated to a cause or a person. I had commitment issues. Maybe some of you had commitment issues. I knew my wife, Linda, since I was seven years old. We grew up in Spanish Prospect there in the South Bronx. Now, I did not date my wife since I was seven because that would be kind of awkward. But I dated her for about, I think it was six years. And even her family were like, mira, when are you going to get married? <laughs> but I was comfortable. So that's the problem we have with commitment. Some of us are comfortable. Some of us are comfortable in our success. Some of us are, are, are satisfied in our in situation. And that causes us to be selfish. See, I had a commitment problem because at the age of 10 or 11, I remember there in Spanish Prospect, we lived in a one-bedroom apartment. We lived in, in, a, in a street that in the late 70s, every tenement building was burned except ours. So as I went to school, I passed a block full of abandoned buildings. And so it was my dream as a kid, I'm going to leave the ghetto. I'm going to be successful. I'm going to buy my parents a house someday. I'm going to make a lot of money. And so one day I was at church and the pastor invited us to his house. And so I was amazed as we got into his car. It was a new car. 
and we drove to his house, which was in Yonkers. And for those of us in New York at the time, Yonkers was like the suburbs, you know. And so we got to his house. It was a beautiful house. So here I was thinking, wow, that's the job I want. That brother just talks for 30 minutes, and he has a nice car, and he has a nice house. Well, I didn't know that the car was leased. I did not know that the house was a parsonage from the conference. And so when I discovered that as a teen, I said, no, 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 I ain't going to be no pastor. They, they don't get paid. And so I went a different route, and I studied uh, technology. I studied, I have a, my degree was in, in, in applied science and electronics, and I was a network engineer. And I, made, and I worked in that field for 10 years in the late 90s. And then the year 2000. Remember the year 2000? Y2K, when the world was supposed to blow up? Man, we made a lot of money over time and everything. But then something happened, or actually nothing happened. Year 2001, I get laid off. And so now I find myself, because I knew since I was a child that God had called me to be a pastor. But see, I was successful. I was satisfied, and I became selfish. And eventually I became a pastor, and then I had the opportunity to be the youth director in New Jersey Conference, and, and, and we did a lot of amazing things there. And then I got called to go to California, Napa Valley. Have you ever been to Napa Valley, California? The weather is 79, 80 degrees, and no humidity. Come on now. It rains, it only rains from, 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 from I, I think if I remember correctly, from October to February is rain, but from March all the way, there's no rain. There's no hurricanes. There's no mosquitoes. And so I had the best job. I was the chaplain of PUC, Pacific Union College. And what a job. I get to work with young people. I don't have to chair a board. I don't have to be a pastor. I don't have to do visits. I don't have to hear the complaints from the members. I only preach maybe three times a year. I had the good life. And while I was there, everyone was calling me. Florida called me twice to be the associate youth director. I got called to be a lead pastor. Someone else I was like, no, I'm good. Why would I leave? Because by the way, as a, as a chaplain in a university, I get the summers off. And every 10 weeks, every 10 weeks in the middle, when the students are on break, I'm on break too. It was a good, it was a good gig. And so Andrews University called me when they were looking for a chaplain. And, and the guy was like, listen, you could be the chaplain at the flagship of the Adventist education system. I was like, let me get this straight. It's hot and humid here in the summer, and the rest of the year is snow. I'm in sunny Napa Valley, California. Ah, no. <laughs> I'm good. You see what happens when you have success? When, you have, when you're satisfied, you become selfish. And I was making decisions not for the purpose of expanding the kingdom of God. I was making decisions what was good for me. And see, what happens is when, when we are satisfied, we lack compassion. We, we, we lack the desire to reach out to others. We're more concerned with maintaining the machinery of church. And so I didn't want to move 
because it was not convenient for me. And so God has a way of knocking you. So I had a student come to my office asking me, Pastor, what, how do you discover God's will for your life? So I said, you discover God's will, you need to do what Jesus did. He prayed all night and he did not move until he got an answer. And as soon as that came out of my mouth, I heard God say in my heart, oh, you can give the advice, but you can't take it. I have opened door after door after door and you keep closing them. And I was like, ah. Oh. You ever had that when God speaks to you? And so I was in the process of moving from the conference parsonage to a, a, a college home there at PUC when Tim Nichols, ministry director of Florida Conference, calls me. He says, hey, your name has come up to be the pastor of Miami Temple. My wife said to me, no vamos para allá. We're not going. We're not moving because we're packing boxes. And Tim said, Oh, you know, this is just preliminaries. I can see in your resume that you never led a big church. But we're going to fly you down to Miami just for the interview. I said, fine. I came to the interview. And you know when you have a job and you go for an interview? So you have that attitude like, I have a job. <laughs> and so I gave all the wrong answers. And then I said, listen, can we pray? Because I think we're done. And we're good. And they said, no, wait outside for five minutes. Two minutes, I get the answer. We're extending you a call to be the pastor here in Miami Temple. I was like, ah, oh, shut the front door. Oh, you got to be kidding me. And it took a process of four months where I prayed and I wrestled because I was comfortable. I was successful. I was satisfied, but I was selfish. Commitment, we're talking about commitment. Commitment is the key to success. Success is not how we define it. The world defines success by how much money you have, the account, your status in your, in your career, how, what home you're living in, what car you're driving. But in the Bible, success is the privilege of contributing to the betterment of others. The success is the privilege of contributing to the betterment of others. If I were to use one word to describe commitment... I, was, I would use the word alone. Because it's human to stand in a crowd, to follow the crowd. But it's divine when you stand alone. John Maxwell says, Until I'm committed, there is a hesitancy, a chance to draw back. But the moment I definitely commit myself, then God moves also. And as a whole stream of events erupt, all manners of unforeseen incidents, meetings, persons, and material assistance, which I can never dream could come my way, begin to flow towards me the moment I make a commitment. What is God's vision for the bridge? What is God's vision for the Florida, for Forest Lake Church? I want to show you what commitment looks like in a story that we already know. If you have your Bibles, go with me to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. It is a classic example of commitment. You know the story. Babylon takes the best of Jerusalem. And he brings them to, to, to Babylon. And Daniel made a commitment. He says, I will not defile myself with the food in the king's table. And because of that commitment, God blessed him and God used him. In Daniel chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar has a vision. And the only one that could interpret it was Daniel. And so here in Daniel chapter 3... 
regardless of what God said, that there was going to be a kingdom coming after Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar said, I don't care what God says. My kingdom is going to last forever. So he erected a statue, a golden statue, and he called all of his leaders to come, and they were going to have a worship service. They were going to have a leadership summit. And on that leadership summit, he said, when the music is playing, I want all of you to bow. And the music played. And everyone bowed except Shedrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When you make a commitment, there are four things that are going to happen that we see in the story. The first thing that we see is in verse 12. Verse 12. That, that, that some of the, the Babylonians came to King Nebuchadnezzar and says, But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Shedrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The world is going to notice your commitment. And the next thing that it's going to notice, it's going to be annoyed with your commitment. It says here in verse 13, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. When you make a commitment to God, someone is going to notice. And, and why is Lafitte leaving early on Fridays? Why is it that he doesn't come to work on Saturday? People are going to be, they're going to notice your commitment, and people are going to be annoyed with your commitment. The third thing that's going to happen when you have a commitment is in verse, is it verse 14? And Nebuchadnezzar said, is it true, Shedrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I have set up? The third thing is that the world is going to question your commitment. And the fourth thing that's going to happen is that your commitment is going to be tested. King Nebuchadnezzar said, okay, you know, I like you boys. I'm going to give you another chance. When the music plays, I better see you kneeling down for, for, before my statue. And by the way, if you don't, you will be thrown into a blazing fire. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hands? The world is going to notice your commitment. The world is going to be annoyed by your commitment. The world is going to question your commitment. And your commitment is going to be tested. But guess what? Your commitment is going, is going to reflect your picture of God. Your picture of God is going to determine your commitment. I was able to move from New York to New Jersey, from New Jersey to California, and back to Florida because my picture of my God is that he's always been faithful to me. No matter where I've been, no matter what I've done, God has been faithful and has blessed my ministry. So as much as I was leaving paradise and coming to hot, humid Miami, I knew that God was going to be with me. Amen? Your picture of God is going to determine your commitment. If God is just a friend to you, then that's going to be your commitment. But if God is the king of the universe and the leader of your life, your commitment is also going to reflect that. Look at these boys. The answer that they gave the king in verse 16. King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Listen, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your hand. But, and catch the attitude, catch the attitude. But, even if he does not, we want you to know, oh, your majesty, we will not serve your God, we will not worship, and we will not bow. All right? And the king got furious. And what happened? They got thrown into the furnace. And I could imagine, because see, 
this, when you make a commitment, it's a personal decision. Shadrach could have been like, yo, Meshach, Abednego, peace. <laughs> You're on your own. But when you make a decision, it's a personal decision. And, 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 and when, they, when King Nebuchadnezzar said, I want you to heat up that furnace seven times, and they were probably walking like, okay, God's going to come through. God's going to come through. And all of a sudden, the guards drop dead. Now you're like, okay, uh, God, uh, donde esta? where are you, Lord? You're supposed to come in to save us. But notice, there was no guards. They escorted themselves into the fiery furnace. And when you stand up for God, God stands up for you. And when your commitment, when you make a commitment to God, there are two things that are going to happen. God is going to be glorified. Because all of a sudden, King Nebuchadnezzar says, wait, 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 I thought we threw three men. I thought we threw three men. I see one that's walking among the fire, and he looks like the son of the gods. And then he says, come out. And King Nebuchadnezzar started praising God. He says, this is the real God. This is the God that protected them because they trusted in God. So when you make a commitment, God is glorified. And you know what happens? The second thing, you are promoted and blessed. Verse 30 tells us that King Nebuchadnezzar blessed them. Commitment is the key to success. Commitment is the key to, to success. The results of being committed is that God is glorified. But how is the world going to know about the greatness of God unless committed Christians like us step up to the plate? God is not, he's not lacking power. He's not lacking his anointing. He's not lacking his miracle. God is ready to bless us. God is ready to do something great here in the bridge. But he's waiting for someone to get into the furnace. He's looking for committed leaders. See, commitment is not based on your abilities, it's not based on your gifts, it's not based on your talents. Commitment begins with a choice. Here I am, Lord, send me. And when you do that, you reflect that you trust God. Joan of Arc, Joan of Arc, Joan of Arc. She was 19 years old. And because of her leadership, she, 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 she was used by God to kind of help the French. Remember that? And there was a time when she told her generals, I will lead the men over the wall. I will lead the men over the wall. But because she was a woman, the general said, um, not a man will follow you. And listen up, ladies. Joan of Arc said, I won't be looking back to see if anybody's following. I will go. And the story goes that she was successful in delivering them from the English, but she was caught as she was placed to be burnt at the stake. And she was given an opportunity to recant. She was given an opportunity to say, okay, I, I, was, I made a mistake. I don't want to die. But this was her last words. Every man gives his life for what he believes. And every woman gives her life for what she believes. Sometimes people believe in little or nothing, and yet they give their lives to that little or nothing. One life is all we have. We live it and it's gone. But to live without belief is more terrible than dying, even more terrible than dying young. 
Who are you committed to? What are you committed to? Jesus Christ was committed to us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes shall not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus was committed. He came as a baby, grew up as a man. He died for our sins on our cross. He was committed. When it was uncomfortable, when it was painful, he was committed. And if the God of the universe, the leader of the universe was committed, how much more should we be committed? God is looking for something. You know, Bill Hybels in his closing statement said this. The leadership summit, his vision is for the leadership summit to be seen in every country around the world. And he said that they're lacking only 60 countries. Only 60 countries. And he, has, he will fulfill his vision. And that made me think. Jesus said that when this gospel is preached to all the nations, then I will come. Church, Jesus is coming soon. Look at the political state of our nation. We need Jesus to come. Amen? He's coming. 60 nations. And he pleaded. He said, is there anyone out there that can help me? Because I want to reach 60 nations. What would commitment look for us as a Seventh-day Adventist church? What would it look like for you? Are you just satisfied with just being in a church service? I'm going to be honest, Bernie. I, w- I, had, I had leadership envy to see what Bill Hybels was able to pull off. And the world, you had the CEO of, of Bill Gates' wife was there. You had the CEO of Ford. You had all these CEO and presidents of sports teams. They were in that church. They will never step foot in our church. Why? Because we're not committed. Success breeds success. And so I want to challenge us today. And I want to leave you with this one verse. Because Paul was committed. Paul was committed in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. This was, this was another verse that Wilfredo de Jesus challenged us. And I want to leave you with this. Because Joan of Arc died for what she believed in. What are you willing to die for? I want to be like Paul. What Paul says in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Our mission is to fulfill the gospel commission that was given to us by Jesus Christ. My challenge to you is let's get committed. Let's be committed Get together with your pastoral staff. What would success look like? What would commitment look like if all the members of the bridge would be committed? Father God, thank you for the example of Shedrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Forgive us for being satisfied. Forgive us for being success and selfish, Father. Help us to help others get to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, bless us, bless this church, bless each member. And I pray, Father, that you may light a fire under us, that we may be committed and true to the commission that you've given us. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. May God bless you.